Hello, and thanks for meeting me back here at The Stripe, the first and only podcast dedicated to the face-off position. I'm your host, Greg Gurenlian, and I'm excited to bring you knowledge, insight, and predictions about the PLL face-offs on a weekly basis. Today's episode is unique. We have a pair of freshly minted face-off athletes suiting up for the Redwoods this summer. Peyton Smith was the only face-off man selected in this year's PLL draft, a MAC conference record-breaking superstar. He'll be teamed up with Greg Pasculjian, who has a wealth of professional experience, but will be stepping up to the PLL stripe for the first time this July. I'm dubbing this tandem the underdogs, as they have immense potential, but a ton to prove this summer. First up today is Peyton Smith. I've known Peyton since 2013, drove up from Raleigh, North Carolina to compete at a face-off academy event in Philly, hopped out of the car with a massive chip on his shoulder, mowed down everyone, proceeded to win his division at our national showcase event in 2016, earned a scholarship at Marist where he became the MAC conference legend, and now a face-off academy coach. Peyton, you've come full circle, are now a pro, but the one thing I know for sure is regardless of your success, that chip on your shoulder is as big as ever. Thanks for joining me today at the Stripe. What's going on? How you doing, Greg? I appreciate you having me on. Um, first off, I would say this is so cool that, uh, you know, as face-off guys have this platform now to discuss our position and uh, talk about it, um, you know, more in the open instead of just kind of being a closed-door thing to a lot of lacrosse fans. Thanks, man. Yeah, we're pumped about it, too. Everybody out there, hope you guys continue to subscribe and share and rate this as the mouthpiece for face-offs. So, Right now, you know, you guys have a unique situation. You and Greg Pasculjian are going to tag team this. You're coming in as a rookie. When you were selected in the PLL draft, I know I remember Nat St. Laurent posted a video of him giving you the call. How did that feel? How was that experience? It was unbelievable. Um, I was lucky enough to still be at school, and I had a, a bunch of guys that I lived with in the senior class be around me and to share that moment with them. Um, then after getting off that call and just telling my mom that I'm going to be selected in the PLL was uh it was a dream come true, and uh, I'm excited for this opportunity, and I'm um, ready to get to work. Absolutely, and and I've dubbed you guys the underdogs, you and Greg, two guys who have zero PLL faceoffs under your belt. But let's take a quick snapshot so we can get caught up, so folks at home know who you are. You came from Raleigh, North Carolina. How was your experience coming from that area? As as we had mentioned, your first ever FOA event was coming up all the way to Philly, to the Northeast, where most guys from the Southeast don't get a fair shake and they have to drive. So how was that experience after you left that event, after winning that particular day? Did you feel like, yeah, like I'm a college-level face-off guy. Let's go. Give me the looks. Yeah, so, you know, growing up in Raleigh, North Carolina, obviously it's not, you know, the hotbed of lacrosse, um, but it's growing. And, and I think I kind of got into lacrosse the right time. I, you know, was playing football with a bunch of guys who started picking up lacrosse sticks, and I kind of joined in and – um, I did that in seventh grade. Then my eighth grade year, I took up face-offs. And I had a coach uh, tell me at camp, he's like, look, man, you should stick with this. And then, um, you know, I worked really hard at it. And then I came to that first FOA event um, when you guys were just getting started. And when I won that, I knew there was a bunch of kids there who were like, who is this kid from, you know, Carolina? Yeah. It was it was a gratifying moment for me. But then I kind of realized at that moment, like, okay, this is, this is what I need to focus on. This is what I know is going to take me to that next level. Um, and then the rest – it's kind of in history, and I've had a great career at Marist, and you know I'm excited to be in, you know, playing professional lacrosse in the PLL. Yeah, and and just so folks know, like we have emblazoned in our brains all the FOA coaches. Peyton showed up with a blue Maverick spider, <laughs> and and that head and that memory in my head is emblazoned in the back of my <laughs> occipital cortex because I remember. <laughs> 
you showing up and I'm like, oh man, this poor kid, like this isn't a face off head. And you're like, oh really? Well, I just beat everyone. So I guess it is now. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about that chip, man. An unorthodox way of going to the PLL where you have, Mm -hmm. you know, the blue chippers of the Hopkins and Maryland world. And you're coming in here, a guy from North Carolina who went to Marist. How has your experience, your unique experience coming from the Southeast, going to Marist where you had a phenomenal career, how did that shape you differently? You know, I think it goes back to high school. You know, I think when I started really getting good at face-offs, you know, people would always kind of look down upon people from non-hotbeds. You know, they would say, okay, he's good at face-offs, but he's from North Carolina. He won't develop well. He, he won't, you know, get coached as well as these other guys. So we'll, we'll take a chance on them. Um, and I think that throughout my time, you know, going to Marist and even then, you know, being doubted, we'd show up and play a big school, you know, like UNC or Maryland. And immediately this, this, they'll look at the roster, like, oh, this kid's North Carolina. Like, what can he bring to the table? And, you know, that hurts because I know that there's so much talent here. You know, you look at the athletes we have that are now picking up lacrosse sticks. I mean, there's going to be a whole generation of kids that are going to play lacrosse at a really high level. I mean, you look at other face-off guys like David Sampier at High Point, Adam Shea at Hobart. Um, there's a lot of guys coming up through the ranks. Now you have the Caputo brothers at Duke um, who played their high school ball down here. And, and they, you know, have excelled. And I think that that stigma of being from the South or a non-hotbed is being eliminated. Um, and I'm excited to you know, show, you know, at a, you know, at a you know, global stage that somebody from North Carolina can play with the best in the PLL. Absolutely. And I, and I like it because you and Hunter Forbes, Hunter's from Georgia, got two mm-hmm. Southeastern boys that are going to be making their mark on the PLL at the stripe. And it's, it's a big, exciting time for our sport. Like you said, you don't have to, these aren't the old days where you just go shopping for recruits in the Northeast. You got boys everywhere that can handle it. In fact, you are blazing the trail. I know Dylan Bettle, who's coming from your area, is going to be going to Marist as well. He's one of the top face-off guys in his class in the country, and guys are already looking up to you from that area. I liken it to when Ben Williams was making his mark at Syracuse and all the kids that were from Minnesota, where he's from, were turning heads going, oh, man, I can do that too then. like I can be, you know, I can be a college-level stud. I don't have to be born in Philly or Maryland or Long Island, and that's huge. Your experience at Marist, how did you like playing for that program? Because let me tell everybody who wasn't paying attention early in the season, I am really sad that the season got cut short because Marist was doing big things this summer, this uh, spring. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, I think Marist is a program, you know, Coach Wilkinson has been, you know, at the helm there for a number of years now, and he'd completely turned the program around. Before he got there, there was people showing up with wrong pennies, and the team wasn't a team. And I think that when you step on campus and you walk around with them on that visit, he lets you know that you know, you're coming here to get your education, but you're coming here to be a part of a team and a brotherhood that's going to make you a better man. And I think that, you know, a lot of us who've graduated Marist understand that years later, um, that how much he puts into developing us as men and as lacrosse players as well. And when you do that, I think that you get successful lacrosse teams. You see, you know, we played Army. Um, they came to us, and, and we smacked them in the mouth right off the bat. Wilkes made it clear that they think that they're going to come in here and roll us over. Um, and there's been other teams in the past from Maris who've done amazing things like that. Um, and I think that playing with that chip on our shoulder resonated with me because I already do myself. But then adding it, you know, even more playing for Maris – fit me perfectly and everybody who's there understands it that uh, we'll play with a chip on our shoulder we'll go against anybody um so i think that was really important to developing me into who i am yeah with that army game you guys came out like gangbusters 
you were. Yeah, exactly. Whatever coach said right before you went on the field, he said the right thing. And mm-hmm. Coach Wilkes, I there's a reason that Marist has become an FOA pipeline for recruits. Because mm-hmm. I tell parents all the time, if I you know, I have a son. If he wanted to go play college lacrosse, I would love for him to play for a man like Wilkes. Uh, and and he's doing really good things there. So yep. your experience at Marist, you know, you had an amazing junior year, your senior year, you were off to a hot start again. You get mm-hmm. drafted into the PLL. The excitement about the PLL. Give me a few things where where guys who are coming up after you, sophomores or juniors, what they can look forward to in your experience, not just your draft experience, but your preparation for camp and how all that's gone. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, obviously getting drafted is a big milestone in somebody's career. But I think that, you know, for me, you know, the work hasn't changed. I understand that I'm coming into the season. Not many people know who I am. Um, you know, I, I wasn't a first team All-American, but I have an extremely hard work ethic and I'm obsessed with the face-off position. I study it like crazy. I'm always trying to get reps with people. And I think that once you get that obsession, whether you know, you're a sophomore, junior right now at Marist and you're an attackman or midfielder, when you have that obsession, um, it, it makes you want to work harder. You know, working out, it doesn't seem so hard when you know that the end goal, um, that you want to play with the best and be the best. And I think that, um, that got instilled to me early at Marist and by my parents. And I think that now this next generation of Marist kids and people from lower conferences and even D2 or D3 can say that, look, if I put in this work now, it's going to pay dividends and I'll be able to enjoy the draft nights and, you know, all the Instagram posts and all those things that come with going into professional lacrosse league. So this summer, unique situation for you as a rookie coming in. And usually we always joked about in the professional leagues where rookies would come in fresh off of their season, jump right in, you're in full condition, ready for lacrosse. You're not in that situation. First draft class to ever not be in that situation. Instead, you have this whole summer to prepare and get ready. So let me ask you this. Looking at it, do you look at the pros and cons and give me a pro and con of you having to wait this long before you get a chance to play? And then just so people at home understand, this is a sprint model. And when we say sprint model, we mean this isn't a full summer of games, one every week. Instead, you're going to play a game every other day over the course of a couple weeks. So give me some pros and cons of this type of model playing for you and your style. And also give me a couple pros and cons of having to wait this long to play. Yeah, so obviously with the pandemic going on, uh, all the gyms in North Carolina have been closed. I've been lucky enough to have one of my neighbors available uh, who has a a weight room. So I've been utilizing that. Uh, I've been trying to gain some weight. Um, we've talked about it before, but my first four games are going to be against Trevor Baptiste, Tom Kelly, Joe Nardella, and Connor Farrell. So those guys have a lot of weight under them. So I need to be able to match that. So I've really been trying to get my strength uh, to the point where it needs to be. Um, but as well as, you know, this is going to be a grueling sprint. Um, there's not really a learning curve where I have three days, kind of feel things out, and then just, you know, I'm just going to get right into it. So I have to be able to be in the best shape of my life. Um, to get through those first four games, then on into the other three, hopefully. Um, and I think that, you know, my mindset has changed between, you know, working out every single day, but, you know, really focusing on the things that are going to make me better in a short amount of time, uh, which is going to be the sprint work, making sure my shots up, uh, my shots are getting up, passing, and then on top of it, the face-off aspect. Sure. And now just to reiterate, so people at home understand, listeners, We've talked about this a little bit. The PLL rules are a little different than that of the NCAA. Uh, If you don't know exactly what's different, go back to episode zero where we break it down point by point.
But just for the abbreviated model, the ball's lined up higher on the plastic of the head towards the scoop. The referees have a consistent ball placement. The setup is quicker, and the wings are short are closer to you. They're a yard closer on either side. And then the big difference is 10 yards out of the middle of the field. So you're you're basically facing off in a living room ladder, you know, rather than a, a yard. So for your style of face-offs, when you look at who you have coming up, okay, let's look at these these matchups. Like you said, you had Trevor, TK, and Farrell. So when you look at those three guys, those three guys, I would be confident in saying have probably some of the fastest hands in the league. Mm. When you look at the hand speed and you look at how you're going to go against those guys, what are some things that you've noticed on film that you feel like you match up well with? Yeah, so I think just uh, to start, you know, in college with the, the ball being placed kind of in the middle of our heads, you know, your left hand can be more of – you know, it can be more of an impact than it is in the PLL. You have to be in the PLL since the ball is lined up higher. If you just swing your left hand, they're going to burn you upfield. So I've been really trying to dial in over the past few months that I need to make sure that my entire body weight and my hands and head are going to be going toward the ball um, because I need to maximize, you know, my mobility and making sure that I'm hitting the ball at the correct angles. And then on top of it, like you said, the wings are closer and the field is shorter. So exits are going to be more important. Um, but I've had to train myself to not be stubborn. If I don't get a lot of the ball off the whistle, I need to get to my feet and go into my second move, whether it be a counter, um, you'll kind of go belly to helmet or do what I need to do um, to get that second chance at the ball. Like you said, the hand speed in the PLL is insane. Um, So being able to get initial piece of that ball is very important. So uh, I've been working on that, but as well as, okay, if I don't get it right off the whistle, I need to be ready to fight for this ball. Um, so those are the big things I've been focusing on going into this, uh, tournament. Yeah, absolutely. And when Peyton speaks about the left-hand punch for a long time, the ball used to be lined up near the throat of the head, the strongest part of the plastic. That's about an inch or two away from where your right hand is. So we always taught guys, your right hand drove into the ball, your left hand swung around so that you can peel your opponent off the ball. However, with the ball placement way higher on the heads, if you swing that left hand, just like Peyton said, and you swing upfield, you're going to open yourself up to getting broken on fast breaks. And it's definitely something that you're going to want to pay attention to during the PLL Championship Series this July. So that's a great scout on your part. Now, when we look at the – one of the things that we've been looking at are all these next-level stats during the Stripe interviews. And something that we are noticing are individual characteristics, right? So TK is very known for his hand speed, uh, but his weakness was exits last year, and he's working on that for 2020. Connor Farrell was new to the game, and he kind of stuck with two moves, where he would pull the ball forward or he would go into that defensive counterclockwise motion to screen you with his big body. And then Trevor would use his wings when needed, but he was really good at crushing that ball with his left hand coming up and his right hand driving in. When you look at Joe Nardella, however, who's the who's the last matchup for you, Joe Nardella is the exact opposite of all of them. Joe has uh, about a 30% clamp percentage. Clamp percentage meaning you have the ability to maintain and direct the control of the ball on the whistle, yet he was in the top three in face-off percentage overall. So when you look at someone that are athletic in a much more enclosed space, what is your idea or gameplay design for that? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is is knowing before I even go down for the face-off, communicating my wins that this is going to be a dogfight. I mean, if you watch Joe Nardella's games from last year, 
I mean, there are some of them last 15, 20 seconds, bodies flying everywhere. Um, and he's really good at those in tight ground balls. But I think that it's recognizing that if I do want the clamp off the whistle, that I need to get out of there as soon as possible. Because if I sit around and wait for him to counter, he has a ton of different counters and moves that he does to make sure that my job isn't easy. Um, so I think that being able to recognize as soon as I get that clamp um, that I need to get into my exit or find one of my wings uh, is going to be crucial in that game. Yeah, that's a great point. And we've talked about it in the past. I mean, Joe is, has a staggering difference in his overall faceoff percentage and clamp percentage. And that's what makes him so tough. And, and we're actually going to be interviewing him on the next episode of The Stripe to find out where that success comes from. One thing that I know a lot of people are interested in, and I, I myself as a, a former professional, you and Greg Pasculjan, and you have wings, obviously, some new faces too for the Redwoods that will be playing the wings this year. Um, what is that competition going to look like? Have you spoken to Greg in the wings? Have you guys been talking at all? to game plan together to, to, to be more cohesive. The fact that you don't have to worry about a depth chart, I think helps from an ego standpoint for a lot of these guys. So how have you and Greg discussed your ability to match up together and cause some chaos out there? Yeah. So, you know, if you look at Greg, he's had a lot of success in the MLL. He won a championship with coach Nat in Ohio. Um, but on top of that, I think, you know, we have a good you know communication already. We've reached out to each other, shared some notes on things that we've seen on film. Um, I've spoke with some, you know, some of the wings already, but um, I know that Coach Nat is going to have some good game plans ready to go. And then when we get there in Utah and we're in person with our teammates and especially the wing unit, that we'll be uh, having open dialogue and make sure that we're all on the same page. You know, a lot of the guys who are returning, you know, they already have some of that chemistry, but we really don't. Me and Greg are fresh and new to the PLL, and we have to be able to quickly um, get that chemistry with our wings and make sure that they're in the right places and um, that we're helping each other out. Yeah. And you guys, you and Greg have very different styles. Greg likes to click and drag off of his knee and slide the ball forward um, almost every single rep. Uh, you're more of a grind it out and then execute your exits based on what you're given kind of guy. One thing I can say is that you guys have an amazing group of midfielders that can all pretty much play the wing. And mm -hmm. last year I played for the Redwoods and we had Harbison, who I think is, is single-handedly the most underrated player in the entire PLL. You have John Sexton, who is an incredible LSM off the wing, a two-point threat every time he gets the ball. Um, you have uh, Perkovic, who can play the wing as well. Brent Adams can gun twos right off the wing. So you're going to have a plethora of options, and all these guys will listen to whatever you guys say. So the cohesiveness will certainly be there. And one thing that's very cool – I can say from experience having coach Nat as my coach last year is he lets you do your thing and he supports you and he asks questions because he wants to understand it. And it was, it's very refreshing for a lot of guys who aren't used to that with a head coach, especially a, a college and professional level coach. So he's phenomenal. You guys are going to be in a very good situation right there. Mm. What kind of rotation would you like to use? Now, if you have two face-off guys and you're going playing, you know, a game every other day, would you rather have a guy like what do you believe in? Because I know a lot of people are probably listening to this and wondering, would you rather a guy go every quarter? Would you rather rotate every face off or would you rather rotate every two? How, how would what would be like the perfect rotation for you with a two guy system? Yeah, I think that's definitely going to be something that's going to be important to watch for not only our team, but the other teams. I know that most teams are bringing down two guys and, you know, to see how they're going to rotate them is going to be interesting. 
I think for me personally, to be able to start the game and have not just every face-off, but get, you know, five or six under my belt, you know, because I think that as the game goes on, most face-off guys get better and their hands get faster um, and see how that goes. You know, if I go out there and I win five or six in a row, then maybe I'll stay out there for the rest of the half. Um, but if I struggle a little bit, um, you know, maybe throw Greg in there and get a mix in um, and just kind of get the other face-off guy off his rhythm. Um, like you said, me and Greg have different styles. And I think having that one-two punch um, is going to be dangerous for other teams because, you know, it, it's going to be such a flip-flop. If we do flip every, um, you know, rep, it's going to it's gonna surprise some of the guys we're going to go against and we'll be able to get some clean wins from that. Yeah, that's actually a great take. And one thing to remember also in the PLL, if you false start on a face-off, you're not allowed to take the next one. So that is something to consider as well when you're doing a rotation. I think one other thing I wanted to ask you before we go into this, you have the Olympic time slot, NBC, international eyeballs will be on this. Mm -hmm. Have you thought about what that's going to look like or feel like when you get out there to Salt Lake City? Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I've thought about it, um, you know, a lot. And I think that, you know, even when I was at Marist and we were playing on games in ESPN, it's, I, I really just try to minimize situations. Like, look, I'm here to win face-offs. My job is to win the face-offs, get our team possession so we can score more goals. And I think the more that I minimize the situation in my head, you know, the, the less I think about it. And I think a lot of face-off guys have that attitude as well. I mean, obviously, you know, being on a team with, you know, guys like Kyle Harrison, who's going to be on, he's basically at the Mount Rushmore of lacrosse and, um, you know, all these really, you know, amazing athletes, just being able to focus on myself and my job and minimize it as much as possible is going to make me um, successful, I believe. I love that. I love that mentality. The one last thing I wanted to uh, to leave with here, when you look at the PLL style, when you look at your matchups coming up, mm-hmm. which 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 matchup or which team in general were you kind of like most excited for? It's a good question. Uh, you know, I'm excited for, I mean, all I just excited for the opportunity, but I think I am really excited uh, to go against Trevor. I think that, you know, now that I'm with FOA and I'm working with him and I've spent some time talking with him and being with him in person. Um, I mean, obviously he's statistically the best in the PLL this past season and uh, probably the best in the world. So um, I think having that experience going against him and that challenge um, and seeing how I, you know, how I do, I've put in a lot of work to get to where I am right now. Um, and I want to see it pay off and I want to see it pay off against, you know, some of the best face-off guys in the world. But I think that, that, uh, that matchup with Trevor is going to be special and I'm excited for it. Well, I'm excited to watch it. Obviously, you know, not being on the Redwoods anymore. And I'm ecstatic that you're jumping in there and taking that role. And uh, I get to watch still as a, a full on role woods fan. I get to watch you guys do your thing this summer. You've come a long way. You've earned every every step that, that you've taken, and I couldn't be more excited to watch you this summer uh, play for Coach Nat and the, and the Redwoods. So I wish you luck, and I want to thank you a lot, man, for joining me today on The Stripe. Yeah, I appreciate it, Greg. Thank you. Welcome back to The Stripe. In 2015, I was setting a record pace in the pro ranks, having a historic year, and felt pretty unstoppable. Then I ran into a fellow Greg. In fact, a fellow Armenian Greg, that day Greg Pascoljan used an unorthodox style I had never seen, combined with lightning fast hands to humble me and remind me that I was far from perfect. An Adelphi grad, former professional all-star, and now one of the newest members of the PLL's Redwoods, 
Greg, thanks for joining me at the Stripe. Thanks for having me. Uh, excited to be on the Stripe, first face-off podcast. Yeah, man, and, and the the whole idea behind this podcast was to highlight our position, highlight you know the PLL's face-off superstars like yourself. When you decided that you were going to join the PLL, what was going through your mind to make that decision? Actually, I wasn't too sure about it, when I, but when I saw you were retiring I, and I knew Coach Nat was the coach, He's the man, so I, I, I uh, knew that was my opportunity to, to get to, to uh, take the chance to make the move over. Yeah, and I'm glad you did. Like I said, I, I had you were the first person that really like that was the first time in my professional career that I was really like, whoa, like this guy's faster than me, and your style was giving me fits. When you look at your style as a contrast, and and just so people at home have a mental visual, Greg faces off right knee down motorcycle grip like we have talked about in the past and uses a, a clamp style that basically uses the bottom sidewall and pulls the ball out from underneath you so when you think you're clamping over top of the ball you actually don't have nearly enough and greg is a master at popping the ball forward on you what really stuck out to me was not only your hand speed but also your ability to handle the ball which i wanted to ask you now looking at these pll rules and for those of you who don't know the difference between the PLL rules and the NCAA, go to episode zero where we, we mark it down. But as you looked at these PLL rules, how do you think that works and benefits your style of play? Well, with the ball being further away, I think it, it eliminates those heavy clampers where you could get right over the ball and get on the clamp. So being a little bit further away helps, helps it less, be, uh, less of a tie-up, so it'll be easier to get the ball out a little bit, a little bit quicker. Um, I definitely like how the ball is already down there because that's how I faced off in college. And it makes it seems like the whistle is a little bit quicker. So um, it's definitely going to be an adjustment with the closer wings, but uh, it's, nothing I can't, it's nothing I can't handle. Yeah, and I think, Greg, you, you've proven that over the years. There's really nothing you can't handle. You adapt pretty well. And when Greg says the ball is lined up further away, it's lined up higher on the heads towards the scoop. So there is a further distance for your right hand to have to travel with the stick in order to, to get your clamp or at least control and direct the ball. The faster whistles, it's more of a cadence where the official has his hand over top of the heads of the sticks, gives you a physical visual set call, backs out of there, and about a step or two, the ball is the whistle's blown. And I think that's what people like about the PLL face-off rules is the action happens real quick. There's not a lot of standing around, which is awesome. Now, the wings being closer is is definitely an adjustment. I know for a lot of us who played last summer, it took us a few weeks to get used to that. The wings are a yard closer on either side. But you were always really good. As After you pulled the ball out, you couldn't – I had to use to disguise my wings against you because you were really good at using your peripheral vision to almost scoop goose. And what I mean by that yeah. is you would kind of shovel under the ball and then find somebody right on their stick, and you would do it overhand you would do it behind the back you would do it no look is that something you've been you've been practicing a lot of because you're definitely going to need it in a close quarters with the PLO rules I mean it's just second nature to me I've always been doing that since college uh Gordon Purdy actually got me to start doing that my sophomore year so I mean I mean I grew up playing hockey so I've always had my head up and I always know where guys are so it's it's a matter of reading on which wing's coming in on which side and, and then which guy's open. It doesn't really matter if it goes directly to them as long as it's in space away from the, the wing that they're going to get. It. Yeah, and actually Greg brings up a good point that we haven't mentioned on any episode yet. The 
face-off after the ball is popped out. During a face-off, everybody else on the field, except for the face-off man and his two wings, everyone else has to remain inside the two-point arc on their side of the field until possession is called. So Greg's right. You know, if you watch an NCAA game, they have that box that everybody has to stay in until the referee yells possession and then people can come out. In the PLL, the field is shorter, but it is a very interesting situation where you have guys inside of an arc rather than a big box. So corners of the field are way more open and they have to stay in there until possession is awarded and called by the referee. So you're going to be able to pick your spots with that shovel goose and it's going to be pretty cool to watch. Now, you had a lot of experience in the pros. You played for a few years and you were very successful. You were an all-star. You're going to be going against some familiar matchups when we look at the group play that the Redwoods are lined up against. We're looking at uh, let's start with Tommy Kelly. You've had battles with Tommy Kelly. You've had some championship battles with Tommy Kelly, and you've actually done very well with against him in the past. Now, TK is generally known around the PL right now as probably the fastest hands in the league reaction time-wise, but that has never stopped you. You've won a very fair share of your initial uh, clamps against TK. What makes that matchup so good for you? I think it's just the way of the style of, of that I face off compared to the – the heavy power clamp that he that he uses, and he's just a one, one, one heavy clamp guy. I mean, he's quick, he's got quick hands, but as long as you get it away from him quick, I think I think it's just you're always going to be successful. And he has, he struggles with his stick skills, but and his first time ground balls. But if you get the ball away from him quick, and and you make it a one on one battle, it's usually a successful battle. Yeah, and what Greg means by a style differentiation is is Greg generally, he'll rip the ball out from under you using that bottom sidewall. It's very, it takes a lot of skill and it takes a lot of hand speed. TK comes over top of the ball with his top sidewall and a heavy clamper generally tries to get his whole body weight down on top of the ball. And the PLL rules, you do have to travel a further distance because the balls line up higher on the stick. So yeah, I've seen you break the ball forward on him a bunch of times in the past. You guys have had great head-to-head battles. Uh, definitely a, a great speed matchup. Now, when we look at we look at Trevor. Uh, have you did you get a chance to play against Trevor at all last year? Never. I only uh, years ago I against him at the USA tryouts. Oh, that's back right. In, was that 2015? Wow. Come on. Yeah. Or I guess the World Games were 2018. So I guess in 2017 was when we all played 17 in those tournaments. September here. or something. Yeah, um, co- completely different. You want to talk about face-off style differences, completely different style of rules. In fact, I, I will go on record as saying FIL face-off rules are the worst possible uh, iteration of them. Uh, but when you look at Trevor and you watch his game film and, and based on what you know about him, what would be something that you're going to try to do? And even if you wanted to team up with your wings or, or work with Peyton on doing something, like what have you guys discussed as far as attacking that game against the Atlas? I mean, I don't want to give too much away based on uh, yeah, the, uh, with the tournament point. coming up. So why don't you why don't you give us what Trevor does really well? Trevor Trevor's very good at uh, getting over the ball and and uh, more of like uh, getting the ball down to deep into his throat and rotating back and defensive exiting. I mean, I've watched a lot of Trevor from based on indoor and outdoor. So I think I'm I'm pretty prepared. I spoke to to uh, Peyton a, a decent amount about him, but I think we got a little bit more di- digging to go. And I think it's going to be one of our toughest matchups of the, uh, of the tournament, but I don't think it's something that we can't handle. 
and uh, do well against them again in a tournament. Yeah, and I, I, I one thing I also say is is the Atlas have very good wings. However, I I would say that I think when you look at wings wings that can play offense or defense and do anything, right? We we touched on it with Peyton a little bit. You have John Sexton who was a two point machine off the wing, ground ball hawk can also face off too and disrupt. Harbison who is an, can be an immediate impact offensive or defense guy. Jack Near who can play both ways. Uh, we could throw uh, you could throw Perkovic out there as well. Brent Adams. I mean, you guys have a long list of guys. You could even I've told Nat in the past, like you could even go double shorty with this group of guys. When you look at what they're doing and you look at the fact that there's a couple teams that are only bringing one guy down there. When you saw the roster releases, was it surprising to you in a sprint format with this championship series playing every other day for like two weeks that that teams would only bring one guy? Definitely. I mean, I mean the only true team is I, I would say is chaos with TK. I mean, Trevor's got Thompson, so he's definitely gonna have a little bit of a break. I don't know who else would kind of take any of against that. Nardella. I mean, it seems like he's in good shape, and he's got uh, Joe as a backup, and you got Bern, uh, Bernhardt that could probably take some draws. Um, I mean, hopefully they stay healthy. I mean, if not, if something happens to them, and they're gonna be screwed. And I think we're, we're set up well with both Peyton and I taking, I mean, whoever we decide to do it, I think uh, we're going to be very successful. Yeah. When you go against a guy, like, and that's the other thing that I've talked about and, and guys are, you know, look, everybody's, it's an arms race on Instagram. Who's in, who's training harder, who's training crazier, uh, who's doing more reps with their shirt off. When you look at the training thing, guys want to be in shape. And I'm, I'm, I say, great. It's great to be in shape. But I don't think the two face-off thing is about being in shape. I think it's about injury prevention, heat exhaustion, you know, getting you know getting injured, or even as simple as in the PLL, if you false start, you can't take the next one. Last year, those were gimme reps, right? right. If a guy false starts, you're like, awesome, I'm winning the next one too, and probably going to create a fast break. When you go out with one guy, you're putting yourself in that situation. But what I look at more is the long term, right? We we had last episode. I talked to Fowler and Bones, and they were almost salivating. They're like, yeah, if we're going against one guy, every time we win a faceoff, we're running him into the ground because we know that I don't have to take the next one, and he does. Is that something that you and, and Peyton have talked about at all? I haven't got into that yet. Um, I guess that's a Coach Nat decision on what we decide to do coming down when we get closer toward, to it and once we get into training camp and whatever we feel comfortable with. I mean, I split a little bit last year. So, and I split in college a little bit, so I, I kind of know what needs to be done on a, on a split pers- perspective. So to that point, you're going against Joe Nardella. You faced off with, against him in the past. Yep. When you go against him, what's the goal? What's the overall, like, what do you have to look out for? And what do you have in the back of your mind when you go against him? Same thing. I kind of want to give too much away, but I mean, you want to get him exhausted. You, wanna, I mean, so these guys that are that are coming in with one guy, I mean, They've got to take, even if they're in last place, they got to take play six games. Magic, say we're averaging 30, 30 draws a game. You're going to be exhausted by the end of the, the end of the series. Your 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 legs are going to be shot. It's not, I mean, you can take ice baths, you can do whatever the hell you want, but your your body's not. You can't train for that. You can't train in a in a game situation, sprinting in and out. And if someone keeps you on, or if you get checked in the leg and you get nicked here and there, you're done. Yeah. 
you know, I, I learned the hard way last year with my old ass body. You're just one hamstring tear away from having a, a really tough summer. And this whole season is condensed into two and a half weeks. So it's going to be real interesting. And yeah, you, you mentioned it, Jake Bernhardt, an insanely good athlete, one of the best athletes you'll ever find, but there's just, it's just not a face-off guy. So when you look at those teams that are only bringing one guy, you're basically saying, all right, like, unlike everybody else, these are going to be some gimme face-off wins if they fall start. And I think, you know, we'll we'll see. And I'm excited to talk to Joe about this at length in the next episode about whether that makes you a little bit more white knuckled or worried about false starting, uh, or if the the training and all that stuff. Are you at? Or I hope they're talking to their other backups and getting them ready. So when you look at the style of of this game, when you look at the, the shorter field, when you look at the faster pace, NBC Olympic time slot, are you? What are you like? What are you most excited for to get out there in Salt Lake City? Like, what are you most interested in and, and, and excited to experience? I'm pumped. Um, I mean, I'm excited to start to play with these uh, awesome guys again, playing with the best players in the world. Um, I think that we have a great opportunity to showcase showcase this sport to the country, the world, with the with the with these time slots, and I think uh, we're gonna nail it. And I think. It's going to be the, the beginning of the start of something huge with this sport. Yeah. From your mouth to God's ears, I think that's what we're all anticipating. We're pretty excited about that. I did want to ask you one question before we got you out of here about Coach Nat. I got to experience playing for him last summer, and it was phenomenal. I, I if, if I'm going to be on record here, if Coach Nat isn't the head coach of a major division one program within the next five years. I don't know if anything would be more shocking to me in my life. He knows how to coach this game, regardless of whether you're a college freshman or a grown man with kids. What makes Nat so awesome as a coach? I mean, I definitely agree with what you just said. And I mean, I've been playing, I play with him for what, four years. I mean, he's, he's, he just, uh, he just has that mentality of someone that you can trust and someone that you can play behind. I mean, my rookie year, him when he we were on the sideline and we had a, I had a game in Florida and I was exhausted and he and he was came up to me and he was he was like why aren't you taking more and I was like I'm exhausted. It was like a two hour rain delay. It was like a hundred degrees outside. It's humid. And then he's like, well, you better start getting your ass in shape because you're going to start taking a lot more. And from from there on, he just had so much trust in him, and 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 he's just he's just like one of the guys you can talk to him, and he understands. He just know, he just knows he he just knows how to coach. Yeah, I would argue that Nat is one of the best combinations of X's and O's, and emotion that I've ever seen. Like you you talk to him for ten minutes, and then you're like, oh yeah, this guy would battle for me any day of the week the rest of my life. And I think the whole locker room felt that, you know, we're like, okay, one, when you're a professional, I want to know that my coach knows what, what he's doing. And he proved that very quickly. Two, I want to know that he trusts me and that I could trust him. And like you said, the trust was the big thing. I think I argue that in professional lacrosse, and this might go across the board for professional sports, everybody's loaded, right? They're like, oh, the archer's attack is loaded. Everyone's attack is loaded. It's the professional. It's the PLL. The difference is always the locker room. And I feel like whoever has the best locker room always wins. I think there's not a coincidence that all the whip got, the whip snakes all played together pretty much at Maryland. 
that chemistry was obvious on the field. Our team, we all trusted Nat. That was our common denominator because we were from everywhere. And I, I totally get your vibe on that. Like when you go out there, you want to run through a wall for him. He just he just brings out brings out the trust the trust from everybody and just it just brings it out to and yeah he brings out the best literally in every person even Nicosello Nicosello yeah. is terrible with Nat Saint Laurent there right Nick there you go there's your negative Friday and your positive Saturday in one sense <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know so you get it's coming full circle for you which is exciting because and I told Peyton in our uh, segment with him. I'm calling you guys the underdogs, you and Peyton. We got two guys who have all the talent in the world with zero professional PLL face-offs under their belt, and no one's seen you on, on film with the PLL rules. And I, I think you guys are poised to shock some people, and I think it's going to be awesome to watch. Um, so I, I wish you the best in July, and I'll be watching closely as a forever Roll Woods fan. And I, you know, hope hope you guys come out strong and have a great July. So good luck out there in Salt Lake City, man. And thanks a lot for joining me on the strike. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Roll Woods. That brings this episode of the strike to a close. Loved having the Redwoods underdog tandem on here. Special thanks to Greg Pasculjan and Peyton Smith for joining us today. We'll be back next episode with the 2019 PLL champion and Whip Snakes face-off man, Joe Nardella. Be sure to subscribe to The Stripe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please rate and review with questions and subjects that you'd like us to discuss. All feedback is appreciated. Once again, I'm your host, Greg Gorenlian. You can follow me at GregBeast32 on Twitter and Instagram. Can't wait to meet you next time here at The Stripe.